Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Brian Sam, with co-host Stephen Wisdom. Stephen, man, have you had a good week, brother? Man, I have. I've been on the road most of the week uh, doing some uh, photo shoots with the Strike King Lure Company and the Lose Reels, Rod and Reels Company. And so I've been on, on the road really consumed by fishing this week, which I like. I well, did like you, so I, you did a little fishing? I did a little fishing. I did a little fishing. A little photo op? A little, little photo op. We caught uh, a bunch. Well, where did you guys, uh, where did you go for this? So in, in that kind of environment, it's really all about production, right? And so I have a friend who has a... Uh, uh, a private lake that's uh, pretty good in size and uh, has accommodations there. And so we went to a place that's a, it's an, actually an amazing place here locally that, man, if you want to get away with your family or even a corporate retreat or anything like that, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, log home setting it sets on a, its own private lake. And it's actually called uh, Honeywood Valley. I love it when I go out there. I'm friends with the owner and just love to spend time out there. And And it sits down in this bowl, so you kind of feel like you're surrounded by the mountains. And so pretty cool place, but we went there to be really efficient with our time and effort to uh, really what we were doing is shooting all of the new product that's coming out next year for those two companies. And um, so, yeah, I love when stuff I get to do stuff like so that. So obviously those two companies work work together on some projects and kind of work they're owned by the same people well there you so, have it. yeah yeah so that explains it's, everything it's one in the same so striking lure company and lose they're owned by the same entity well what's new is there anything new with the that we need to know with well, strike king or lose or is it stuff you can't really talk th- about there's it's stuff i really can't talk about yet right but it's it's coming it's coming down the pipeline. you know. Well, we want to know first on the <laughs> Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, any time in that world, you really start shooting things a year, year before they come out because there's just a lot of production and a lot of uh, video editing and, and, you know, programs that need to be built with media background, you know, especially like things like when you go into an academy sports or – Dick's Outdoors or even a Walmart, you know, all those graphics, uh, all those background background graphics, you know, have to be produced. And so that's it, and stuff like that. And then, so it's a good time, man. Good time. Well, good, man. That was, um, sounds like it's more exciting than mine, but we, we just, we played a lot of baseball and uh, the last weekend uh, had some big tournaments, so travel ball, we, we're getting to the end and it's football season, so we've been uh, have been running and gunning and doing all that stuff, so I didn't get the chance to get out and fish this week. Hopefully look forward to being able to do that soon. Man, and uh, excited for the show today, uh, you know, as you guys know, once a month we, we try to do a pond management segment, or we do a pond management seg- segment with... With Norman, the owner of Southeastern Pond Management. Norman, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, good to be with you guys again. Man, always good to have you, buddy. So I, I know that you've been uh, been doing a lot of fishing yourself here lately. You said you'd been down to the coast several times and loading the boat up with these reds and specs. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Trying to whenever I can. They, they shut snapper season down on us a little bit early, but that's a good thing, I guess. Everybody had a good snapper season. They uh, hit the quota 
a few weeks ahead of what they had anticipated. So we certainly had a good a good season doing that. So is that what they do? They set a quota every year, and when that quota is met, they that's it. They they shut season down. Yeah, you know, and I I know a bit about it. I don't know everything about it, guys. But I, I'll say in the last a few years, the red snapper season has has really improved in terms of the recreational side. I think it was four or five years ago we had a in my in my lifetime anyway it was a low point. Uh, and I think we had a three or four day snapper season, and three of the days were were blown out. You know, it was just awful. And you know, you either got out there and caught them those days or you didn't catch them and uh about three or four years ago that all changed and the uh the federal agencies gave the gave the uh the responsibility to manage the 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 population to the the, the, somewhat over to the states they identified a a quota amount for the, I guess, for the Gulf. And then based on a number of variables, they assigned percentages to each state. I think Alabama got 26 or 27% of the, of the Gulf coast quota. And which is a lot. And I believe it was about a million pounds that the state allotted to the recreational season. So they went to a two and then a three and then even a four day weekend. So they'd open the season on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This year they went Friday through Monday, and you could go out and catch your snapper. Still limited to two per person. They've got snapper check, which has been hugely successful. I understand to report your catch, and they do a good job of keeping up with what's being brought in. And then when they get to that quota, which I think is close to right at a million pounds or so, they shut it down, and that's how it works. But so this year we got. Memorial Day weekend all the way through the third of July. So it was I, a, a, I thought a you said you didn't know much about this, Norman. <laughs> well <laughs> Yeah, I probably know more than I should. <laughs> Why well, hey. to be a passion for the last few years now that we could actually go out there and catch them. Interestingly, I was talking to our commissioner, uh, Chris Blankenship. You know, he was encouraging that, that those quotas could even go up from where they are now you know they're the, the state is still under the mandate of the feds the state of alabama for example has been doing a lot of independent research doing population surveys and the numbers that that we come up with our state our state agencies the uh, the quota number is a lot higher uh chris said it might even be 50 percent or more higher that we could take safely uh, and responsibly so you know they're continuing to negotiate with the fed and well, trying to get more power and control over it. but it but it's a huge economic impact on the gulf coast i mean you can imagine going from three days of recreational snapper season to you know a month and a half and this is separate from the what they call the commercial recreational which is charter boats mm-hmm. and they have their own separate season i think they ran from june 1st and there, I think there. I think this may be the last day, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I know it shuts down sometime in early August. Well, that's a that's one of those programs that you can look at, and it's and it's definitely worked and continues to work. And yeah, uh, it's unbelievable, it, really. It really is the quality. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, one of the things that, uh, and and just to just to segue into the to today's topic. You know, Stephen. One of the things that that we get asked a lot is is about pond management and and you know lake and pond management. You know, how do I manage my pond for trophy bass? And, and that's what you guys do. So that's one of the things that I would like to 
to talk about today and and Stephen, you you know you know a lot about this as well and have been part of Ponce and thinking about building one yourself and we'll talk about that at a later show. Let's talk about what is involved in, in, in pond management and, and, and growing trophy bass and, and what you guys do. Yeah, so we get a lot of calls from folks saying, hey, I've got this body of water, I've just bought a farm, or I've uh, just decided to reclaim this old pond, and uh, you know, where do I start? And nine times out of ten, we urge people to, to let us come in and do a full assessment uh, of the of the lake and and it's it primarily looking at the fish community and we do that with electrofishing we're able to actually sample the fish and 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 count them and weigh them and measure them and and record them and of course release them unharmed and and that's a big part of it but we also look at physical characteristics of the lake and the surrounding watershed you know we look at the watershed type the spillways the the vegetation, the, the overall water quality, the, the shape of the shoreline, the amount of structure or cover or natural habitat, artificial habitat. And we, we, we collect all this information and we summarize it coupled with the, the, the goals or objectives of the, of the landowner, the lake owner. And we, and we produce what we, what we refer to as management plan. And we summarize all of our findings and tell them kind of here's here's our assessment of where you are. Here's what you've told us where you want to go. A lot of times, like you said, Brian, it's it's trophy bass. You know, that's a that's a big. So, but depending on what what they're looking to do, then we then uh, create a. Uh, a series of action steps, uh, usually over a 12 or 18 month period, management inputs. Some of them are very low cost or no cost. Uh, Some of them involve cost, but we summarize all of it at the end of the plan in a form that they can look at it and say, "Here's, here's what I need to do, when I need to do it, and here's the cost uh, if we have Southeastern Pond Management do it. You know, here's the cost if I do it on my own. And we make it very, uh, very clear. It's a great way to start, particularly if you have a, a brand new lake that you that you that you know needs some attention, maybe that's been unattended for for many years. And then we we also do that annually. Uh, some customers we do it every 18 months on existing lakes because things change and things evolve. They improve, they decline, and so we it's it's kind of like you know, going to the doctor and having a physical, you know, it's, it's just a checkup. It's a snapshot. It's what is my pond look like today and what do I need to do over the next year or so to, uh, to create conditions more favorable to produce what the results I'm looking for is uh, basically it. So a- very valuable, uh, useful uh, information. So Norman, I've got two questions on that, and both of them have been asked. Someone's asked me these two questions in this past week, and one of them is, what's the optimal time of the year to initiate that program, especially the shocking side of it? Yeah. Is it is it really any time, so you, whenever you're ready, or uh, is there a better time to approach shocking your lake and begin to evaluate uh, and create this snapshot over uh, one time a year or the other? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Steve, and we get that a lot too. And and here's how I would answer it. We can electrofish 12 months of the year. We have done it for 35 years. And so obviously fish are in different areas and depths and maybe more or less difficult to access with our equipment in December or January as opposed to March or April. So, you know, we know what we're looking for. So we don't expect to see, for example, uh, evidence of fresh bass reproduction in January. You know, whereas if we shocked a pond in May or early June and we didn't see bass fry, we would that would be noteworthy. Mm-hmm. So we sort of adjust uh, depending on the time of the year. All that said, most of our electrofishing is is in the warmer weather months. We love to electrofish lakes in the early early spring, and 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 really then again even in the in the mid to late summer because spring and fall are two really important times for management inputs for example uh, if we shock your lake in 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 late february early march uh, we can get you cranked up on a management program and take advantage of the entire growing season for that year Mm -hmm. we can start out right in the early spring and get the fertilization program cranked up. If we need to do some harvest, we can start working on that. If we need to stock redfin shad as supplemental forage, it's a great time of the year to do that. Those those shad that we grow, we grow shad, our own shad in ponds. They're spawning like crazy, so it's a great time to add them. And likewise, in the fall, another uh, key uh, time of the year for management inputs, particularly stocking, corrective. Uh, stocking, liming. So it's nice to do those electrofishing evaluations ahead of the spring or ahead of the fall because uh, that's when we, we can have the most impact uh, quickly. But really getting back to your original question, we certainly can and do electrofish lakes all months of the year. Our equipment is effective all the time. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's just putting electricity in the water. And so where, where those fish are, they're, they're going to come up and, and give us a shot at netting them mm-hmm. and, and counting them up. Yeah, that's great. And so the other one and, um, is a very, again, this is, these are actually real questions from a real lake that I've just recently spent the week on doing a, a photo shoot that, you know, a lake that once was a great lake, um, amazing lake. And I, I've actually fished it for years and have seen it dwindle because of the lack of harvest and the lack of for continued uh, adding forage to the lake and and so you know really guys in, in talking with norm every month and 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 being in this world you know i've began to encourage this guy on these these steps and and you know the question's like well if i shock my lake and take fish out and add forage like how long is it going to take to fix it how and and you mentioned this 12 to 18 month program so 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 maybe share a little bit about an expectation so if so and if a guy came in and said come do an evaluation initiate the program how long does it take a guy to start to see results from that whether it's harvest whether it's adding forage or whether it's addressing some sort of aquatic vegetation that's either out of control or that that's there the lack of give our listeners some feeling on, man, this is worth it because I can see results in X amount of time. That's a good question. Yeah, sure. And definitely uh, it's very 
common. I mean, our expectation and, and most of our customers' expectations would be to see results as quickly as possible. Typically, within that first year, uh, you can see uh, measurable results. Uh, it goes back to uh, how dedicated and how efficient you are in implementing the recommendations. But certainly when, for example, when we talk about harvest, you got a 10 acre lake and, you know, we come in and look at it. It's heavily bass crowded, uh, predator crowded, and we make a recommendation to pull out, you know, 350 pounds of bass, you know, preferably fish in that 10 to 14 inch size range. Um, you know, that can be challenging, uh, but if you're effective and efficient in doing that uh, and couple that with uh, some forage, introducing some forage, it's like my old fisheries professor used to say, it's like a little bit like fix, fixing a, a watch with a sledgehammer, uh, you know, but uh, so, you know, you create a little havoc, a little upheaval in the fish community. You know, you reduce the number of dramatically reduce the number of, of, of bass that are that you're trying to feed, and at the same time increase the amount of food that's available. Uh, and typically, in that first season, let's just say uh, we went to work and got this done in March. Uh, you know, drop the shock boat in. We even do some electrofishing, use it for for harvest in some cases, uh, in a lot of cases. And so, let's say we put it in in a matter of a few days or several hours of electric fishing, we had our harvest, we came in a week or two later and, and introduced a bunch of forage. Uh, without question, uh, by, the, by the end of the summer, you'd see uh, measurable results. Fish mm -hmm. would begin to look plumper, they would actually be, certainly be putting on weight, mm -hmm. even be getting longer. So uh, it can be a pretty dramatic turnaround, obviously again, the more efficiently you can accomplish and, and, and put in put in place these management inputs, the, the more dramatic the results will be. But definitely our expectation would be within the first year. Yeah, absolutely. And so to take that a step further, you know, let's just take, for example, this time of year, you know, Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report is a, uh, it's a, a very real time live show. And so, you know, here we are at the end of August and a guy, and, and all the examples you've you've given have been spring examples. It, is it acceptable to shock a lake and even like you said, use the shock boat to even harvest fish and then turn around and add forage to a lake in the fall months? And what do you kind of see there in that situation? Yeah, a hundred percent it is. And where where people tend to uh, make a mistake is that. Everybody wants to stock fish. Uh, look, we love stocking fish, and it, and it has a great impact. Don't get me wrong. I mean, introducing threadfin shad, uh, quality, sexually mature threadfin shad like the ones that we grow in in our ponds is a, a, a definitely a, a plus. It's a it's it can make it have a dramatic effect. But I think where we see folks making mistakes is they sort of piecemeal this thing. And so, you know, they may say, look, I'm going to, uh, I'll go ahead and stock fish, but, but I'm not going to follow up on the harvest piece or I'm going to, I'm going to stock fish, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to lime the lake. And therefore my fertilization program is not going to be all that effective. And that's going to impact how prolific the threadfin shad are because they're so dependent on a higher fertility to, to thrive and proliferate. So uh, the, I guess the, the point I would make is it, it's, it's a plan 
all these pieces are tied together and interrelated. I, I look at it in my mind, the example of a, a predator crowded lake that we see so often. You know, I look at it as a candle that has a wick on both ends. And the most efficient way to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, let's say the goal is slap in the middle of that candle. But we can start harvesting bass and that candle's going to and light one end, it's going to burn. But if we add forage on the other end, while we're, you know, if we, if we put, do both inputs, we light the candle on both ends, we're going to be much more efficient, if that makes sense. I Absolutely. Mean, uh, but doing one of the two, and it's a lot, of, a lot of things are like this in pond management. Fertilizing half the time, treating vegetation 50% of the time, stocking 50% of the fish, harvesting but not adding forage, or adding forage but not harvesting 50% of that. It doesn't yield 50% of the results, unfortunately. It's, frequently, it yields very little result. So it's, it's very, very important. And we try to, uh, in fact, we, we have a, a system in our, built into our management plans where we prioritize and we identify these management recommendations as level one, level two, level three. Uh, level one being this is critically important. It needs to happen. It's an integral part and related, directly related to your stated objectives. There are other things that might be level three, like we may recommend introducing some artificial structure, you know, some, some fish habitat. Well, that's, that's not nearly as mission critical to achieve the stated objective, let's say, as harvest and stocking, supplemental stocking of forage. So uh, we do try to prioritize um, uh, as best we can and try to steer people toward, if you've got a budget, these are the things you need to do first. And this is, this is what would follow. Well, you know, I, I've got a friend of mine that's got a pond, and, and he ran into this um, a few years ago and was, was asking me about it. And through having you on the show and, and learning, I didn't know the right answer at the time for him. But, uh, you know, his his deal was he had too many bass in the lake, and he didn't have any forage. And he, he bought a bunch of uh, bluegill, uh, bought some thread fin shad, and he dumped them all in the lake thinking that would fix his problem. And it didn't. And what I think I'm hearing from you and what I've learned from you on the show is I'm not going to say he completely threw his money away, but he almost did because what happened is he dumped all that forage in and guess what? It all got ate up in a hurry because there were so many bass in the lake. It was so overpopulated. He was just throwing, he was just feeding them a snack and then it was gone. Yeah, you're you're being nice about it, but yeah, I would I would go a step further and say, yeah, he threw his money away, and, and not to pick on anybody, but I mean, we see these these uh, folks advertising, you know, fish sales at farmers co-ops and things of this nature. You know, come pick up some fathead minnows or some bluegill and and replenish your pond. I mean, it it is far more involved and and the aquatic ecosystem the the, the populate that that fish community is is uh, it like i said you, you kind of got to hit it with a sledgehammer to to move it and 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 you know create some positive momentum when when you've got a predator crowded fish community throwing a handful of a bluegill in there or, or or goldfish or magic fairy dust or whatever is not going to move the needle 
look, we've been doing this a long time, 30 plus years. And, you know, I have, there's no doubt in my mind, these methods that we use and the approaches we use, they're time tested, they work. So it's, it's just very, very important. And again, that evaluation, that initial evaluation that we do, I tell customers, when we leave your pond, it's not going to be any better or any worse than when we got here to do this initial assessment. So this is an investment in gaining uh, information and knowledge is what it is. But I can assure you, if you follow those steps that we're going to outline in this plan that we're going to have you in less than two weeks, uh, usually less than 10 days, if you follow those steps for the next 12 months, you're going to be singing my praises and it, it's not really magic. It's, it's just simple biological principles that are applied to pond management. And we've seen them work time and time again, but yeah, Brian, I, I, we run into that a lot. I mean, and I, and I almost hate to tell people when they say, well, we put, you know, a couple thousand of this or that in the lake, right. you know, a year ago, I saw them all around the edges for a little while, and then they just disappeared. And I'm like, "Yeah, they did. <laughs> they yeah, got they eaten. Sure did. They got they're eaten. gone." And and so, I'm sorry. It takes about 10 pounds of food. Okay, bluegill, crawfish, threadfin shad, shellcracker, you know, hot dogs, whatever you can get the bass to eat. It takes about 10 pounds of 10 pounds to grow a pound of bass. Uh, and if you think of the hundreds and even thousands of little four and five and six and eight and nine and ten inch fish that are in some of these extremely bass crowded lakes, I mean, you would go broke trying to. You to could back them. up. Sure, you would. You, yeah. you could back up a, 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 a semi truck full of full of forage every couple of months, and you and and you really probably still couldn't get on top of them there. There is a carrying capacity. There is a limit to the number of pounds of fish that you can grow. So if you want to, you, you can choose to grow three times as many fish that are a third as large, or you can, you know, you understand what I'm saying. So, right. so it, it can be tricky and folks do tend to make it harder than it needs to be by, you know, being stubborn or hard headed about, Hey, I want to put, I want to do these two things, but not these three. Uh, some of the some of the inputs we recommend are not super sexy. Nobody really loves lime in their lake. Everybody loves stocking fish, but liming and fertilizing are super important. Harvest, harvest, hook and line harvest. You know, we don't obviously charge. That's an owner responsibility type thing, but it can be hugely impactful on the quality of the fishing. Yeah, so I think the key here is for everybody to really kind of hone in on is like a pond management plan is super important. And I think there's an element here, guys, that you really need to take into consideration of we all in this day and age, I think, tend to want to be do-it-yourselfers, you know, DIYers. DIY is so popular. Yeah, I'll YouTube it. I can figure it out. Yeah, and I think the complexities (laughs) of some of this stuff, it's important that you go in and you build a plan. And that's where you're going to see super, I think, the super level of success that you want in your head, right, versus these, you know, cutting these, you know, trying to 
to take a piece of the pie and create a masterpiece. And so, you know, developing that plan is important. And, and I think Southeast Japan can really help you guys do that. But uh, Norm, give them a little bit of a tease, I guess, to a plan, because I think a lot of guys naturally want to ask, and, and, and every pond's different, but, but in, in, the, in this relative world, what can a guy possibly be expecting to do from the standpoint of harvest? And, and even more so, like you say, the, the hook and harvest. So if a guy has a pond and he's, he's investing in your plan, and, but he still has to harvest, what are some maybe guidelines to this whole, the hook and harvest concept? How, how, how many pounds of fish per acre do we do as, as a guy need to be taken out each year? Yeah, sure. And, and I, real quick, I'll mention the DIY. Uh, we, we've seen that trend obviously too mm-hmm. over the years and look, we, we are, and we have lots of customers that we do this with. There are some things that are relatively simple that we do. Fertilization, for example, we fertilize a lot of lakes, just like a lot of folks have, people come in and cut the grass and keep the yard up and, and a lot of people do it themselves. So we, mm-hmm. we are more than happy and do it quite a bit to work with lake landowners, lake owners, farm managers to, to just provide some, some material, uh, some technical expertise or guidance. Same thing with vegetation control. You know, there, there are a number of things that folks can do on their own, but, but yeah, getting to harvest and, and that's another good example of, of, something that can be handled keeping cost to, to a minimal is, and you know, we refer to it as hook and line harvest. In other words, just angler harvest. Those numbers can get up there pretty quickly and it can be challenging. Depending on, there is a high level of variability, Steve, you're right. But just to give you a, a rough rule of thumb, an average lake that we look at, particularly one that's that tends toward that bass crowded condition, 30, 35 pounds, per acre per year uh, is not excessive at all. In some cases, it's not adequate. You know, when you start looking at a 10-acre lake, I mean, that's that's a lot of fish. That's a lot you know, of when fish. you start looking at a 30-acre lake, that's a 1,000 pounds of fish. And um, so, you know, if you got two, three, four folks fishing, uh, which a lot of these lakes maybe don't even have that many, it can be challenging. That's where you know, electrofishing harvest mm-hmm. can, can help, but it's a lot. These, these, these ponds produce a surplus. That's a good thing. When all this stuff was studied back in the forties and fifties and Auburn university did a ton of the work on developing farm pond management and stocking ratios. And it, the, the idea in mind back then was how can we create a, a protein source for, for folks to, to feed themselves and their family. I mean, back, uh, that, that was the primary use, either livestock watering or, or food for all these farm ponds. And so, you know, it's a good thing that folks tended to keep their lakes in balance because they harvested a lot of fish and consumed them. Now the, the focus has shifted more to recreational and with all this conservation you know, that started in the 80s and 90s with BASS and which are wonderful things. Don't get me wrong on the, on the big public reservoirs to get tremendous pressure. Catch and release has been a huge, a huge benefit, but catch and release uh, on a farm pond is typically counterproductive. Uh, just two different animals altogether. 
And so we find ourselves harping on that a lot with, with folks like, Hey, we're doing a great job with our liming and fertilization program. We got the supplemental feeding program going great. You know, we got the vegetation under control. How many pounds of fish have you harvested in the last year since we've been out here? Well, you know, we just, we just haven't. And it makes a difference. So very, very important uh, and typically very low cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the last questions I've got is, is I was reading an email from, from a guy that, that I'd gotten uh, a question and, and he's got bass, crappie, brim, you know, kind of got a little all of it in his lake, but he never catches anything over a pound. And, you know, we've discussed, this is a typical thing that you probably see and, and you've gone through the management plan and stuff. But the one addition thing that to that is the crappie kind of stood out. And I wanted to ask about that. If you've got a pond and you're like, well, I, I enjoy eating those crappie, man, those are good. But I want to grow trophy bass at the same time. Is do you need to keep that separate? Can you have both in a in a farm pond? Um, y- yeah, you can, and and uh, not every pond is suited for that. Okay, the, you know the short answer is typically smaller ponds, less than uh, certainly less than eight or ten acres. Having crappie growing in concert is a little more challenging. Typically, certainly when you get down to three or four, less than five acres, uh, it, it becomes even more challenging. But absolutely, you can have both, particularly in those larger bodies of water. It does require a little bit different approach to management. In my mind, it requires, okay, having some forage additional to the traditional bluegill shell cracker. Okay, crappie just don't do well. Uh, foraging on bluegill. Uh, so it almost requires adding something like threadfin shad, which we use a lot anyway, and they're great for bass as well, but absolutely can have both. And we have many, many lakes that that produce uh, great, that have great crappie fishing, great bass fishing. Crappie can be a little bit squirrely, a little bit tricky to manage. Again, all the more reason to come in and, and, and make sure that we take a look at it with our equipment, with our electrofishing equipment every year, uh, make sure that 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 crappie population is not getting out of control or not waning unduly. And absolutely, we we have many many lakes that 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 have both, Brian. And uh, in fact, you know that's an ideal scenario. I mean, personally, I, I love them too. And uh, uh, the lake that you and I fish out there at Ballantrae, we we recently. Uh, introduced crappie just within the last uh, six or eight months. And in that case, we do have a very, very healthy uh, threadfin shad population. Uh, even still, we waited several years into the life of the of the lake to introduce crappie. Wanted to make sure that we had a well-established forage base and a very healthy, dynamic, largemouth bass population before we added something else to compete with them yeah well and me and you've got a very close friend that's done the complete opposite that you see most people or in fact i don't know if anybody else has done it but uh, our buddy philip pitts he uh he's like i don't want any bass 
Yeah. I just want a crappie lake. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's gotten popular too over, uh, over the, over the last decade or so. And we've had a lot of success with that. And, and that would be, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That would be my solution for crappie in a small pond, which is what Philip has. And so you don't have both, but you can produce crappie in, even in a small pond. And, you know, there's so many, there's so many different strategies now. I think back 30 or so years when we got started, everybody stocked their pond the same way. You know, it was just, we're going to put a hundred bass to the acre, a thousand bluegill to the acre. We're going to add fathead minnows in maybe when we stock the bluegill to give the bass when they go in a little something extra to eat. You know, nine out of 10 of these lakes, we noticed the first decade we were in business were bass crowded in 12 months, you know, and we're thinking, man, you know, we can't keep up with them. So we started manipulating those stocking ratios and it's not uncommon now. Just for example, that's a 10 to one ratio forage to predator. It's not uncommon now for us to stock brand new lakes at 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 to one. Wow. You know, the key, the key is the food and it's all goes back to what your objective is. You know, if you, if you're trying to grow trophy fish, truly grow trophy bass, going back to that traditional way of doing things 30, 40 years ago, that was born out of how can we produce a surplus of protein to be harvested for consumption? That's not what folks are looking for anymore. No. So it, it's, it's, it's foolish to go back and use that, that approach and uh, and so that's what we you know that's what we we worked to evolve over the the past you know several decades. Well, I love what Philip's done on that. He's got small children and the lake ponds right behind his house, and he's like, yeah. man, we we love eating crappie. He said, but I I just wanted a place where my small children can walk out there behind the house mm-hmm. and throw a Zipco out there with a with a cork on it and catch mm-hmm. crappie. Yeah, and they do it too, buddy. And they I mean, do they'll it. catch. 50 of them in an hour. Yeah, yeah. They, they absolutely wear them out. In fact, uh, Brian, I don't even know if I've told you this. We've got a small pond on my hunting lease down in Bullitt County. Uh, it's about two and a half acres. And we re- this past winter, we, we poisoned it and and uh, and are doing the same exact thing as what Phillips done. We're, we're going to make it a crappie pond and because uh, I love to eat them too. Yeah. Uh, you know. That's good stuff. Yep. Well, man, I appreciate you. Uh, we always look forward to this segment with you, Norman. You're just a, a wealth of knowledge, and, and, you know, we just urge anybody out there that's listening that, that either has questions or would like a management plan or, you know, just want to talk to Norman about it, uh, we urge you to reach out to him. And, Norman, tell us, tell them real quick uh, the best way to get in touch with you. Yeah, uh, you can go to go to our website, which is www.sepond.com. Uh, you can make contact uh, with me that way, uh, or you feel free to call me or text me directly on my cell phone, and that number is 205-288-1371. Awesome. Well, well that's great, man. And uh, Norm, next, next month, I want to dive into aquatic vegetation because in the same pond that we've talked about today, some of the analogy or some of the examples that I've used, this pond once did not have any aquatic vegetation and now it does. And sure. does that mean? So we'll jump into that next That'll month be a good one. to see how to tackle that, what to, what to be 
worried about and what not to be worried about, what's good, what's bad. But uh, until then, guys, y'all reach out to Southeastern Pond and, and get going in the direction of having a great foundation with a pond management plan or, heck, even getting a load of shad in because, uh, as Norman mentioned, they, they, they grow their own shad. So it's a great source to go get a good load of threadfin shad as well. So y'all give Southeastern Pond a Absolutely. call, and they are going to take care of you and have your place catching some biggins before you know it. There you go. All right, Norman. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate it. Look forward okay. to talking to you next time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Enjoyed it very much. All right, man. Take care. See ya. All right, man, another great segment with Norman. We always look forward to him being on here and appreciate him. And, I mean, I love how thorough he is in explaining <laughs> things. But it's not too scientific. It's not, you know, it's almost like you, I feel like I'm, you know, talking to an uncle or a dad or something. I think just telling me what I need to do and doing it, you know. And so, doing it. Yeah. And that's the key right there. And I think when it comes to pond management, you know, we, you can you can get, you get Norman to come out and, 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 and put a plan together, but I, it's the doing part of that plan is like, you might as well do none of it. Mm-hmm. It's either if you want to have, if you want to go through, get the plan done and spend the time to get it done, go through with the plan, whether you're going to do some of it yourself and get Norman to do the rest mm-hmm. or whether you're going to get Norman to do it all. Mm-hmm. It's always a great segment. Really looking forward to the uh, aquatic vegetation next week. Yeah. That'll be, I mean, next yeah. month with Norman. Yeah, be there's, all, there's, there's so many, so many questions to ask. And uh, so I look forward to that. Yeah. Too, but I like this next seg- segment we got, Brian, and I'm going to let you introduce him because y'all are longtime friends, but it's, it's the other, you know, spectrum of this. We, we talk about pond management. We, you know, talk about going out and fishing river systems, but we, we haven't really talked about the other part of it and, and tournament fishing. And, and, and so our, our second segment's host, uh, guest today really kind of dives into the tournament side of the Alabama freshwater fishing report and in and, and, and that so man introduce yeah, our next absolutely guest. man and and it's i'm excited and and about having john on here and just very very rarely do i get a chance to have somebody from my hometown of Demopolis, alabama on here uh mostly because i don't associate with many of those folks anymore they wrote me off one of the two but uh, i'm excited john McAlpin, man we are glad to have you on here buddy how you doing I'm doing good, Brian. How are y'all? Man, we are doing good. We're just, uh, just dealing with this summer heat. I'm waiting, about on ready. Co- waiting on colder weather. Waiting on colder weather. That's right. Well, well John, man, I, I, I mean, like I was saying, me and you grew up in a small town where I'm going to tell you, I tell people this all the time. If you live in Alabama and you love to hunt and fish, I don't think we could have grown up in a much better area, could we, brother? It was, yeah, it was a paradise for sure. It absolutely was. Well, I understand that you have, uh, and, and, and just through our conversation, the extreme bass challenge. Now, did, is this something that you started? Yes, sir. I started it myself. Uh, started in 2019. Had an idea for a trail. Didn't really know if it would work or not. Took a little gamble and tried it. It went over very well. and. We're growing from there. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, tell us about the trail. Kind of tell us about how the tournament's structured. You know, first of all, I understand that you just added another division. So walk through the different divisions and how the tournaments are set up at each division and, and, and all that stuff. Okay. Well, we've got three divisions, like you said. 
We've got the West Alabama Challenge, the Central Alabama Challenge, and the East Alabama Challenge. Each one of these divisions has four qualifying tournaments. Each qualifying tournament has a 100-boat cap. Each qualifying event pays $10,000 first place. All right, so you can sign up for any one of these three divisions, or you could sign up for all three divisions if you wanted to. The top 50 teams from each division move on to the championship. Championship, close, of course, is not announced yet as to the location of it, but the championship is $20,000 first place with uh, over a $60,000 purse. So it's a lot of money there, uh, good payout, and we have some of the best of the best fishing with it. So. And, and so a division – so if if and I'm just I'm looking at your flyer right here that that you sent me. So like if I go if I'm in the the West Alabama Challenge and and that goes back and forth the way I understand it between Miller's Ferry and Demopolis. So it looks like there's two different events in Demopolis and two different events in Miller's Ferry. So if I so how many boats will you have in in each tournament over there 100 boats 100 boats and it pays out in first place on each on, on like if i on like if i win one of the tournaments in demopolis how yep. does that pay out first place is ten thousand dollars that's that's your prize money from the tournament now if you're if you make the contingencies um uh, we've got a lot of different contingencies out there from boat dealerships from boat manufacturers, from Minkota, Hummingbird, Talon, uh, we, a lot of different incentives out there. Okay, you could win up to you could win up to twenty thousand dollars a tournament for winning the tournament. Uh, Ten thousand dollars being first place and the rest being contingency. That's good stuff. And yeah, that 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 really is. It's not often that you run into a you know a tournament trail that pays out that kind of money so that's that's pretty awesome how were you able to tackle that just with great partnerships with some uh some of your your sponsors or have they got on board and backed this thing significantly? we've got we've got, some, we've got some good sponsors that are helping us as far as the contingency money mm-hmm. but the the prize money is paid out through the entry fees we've got now we we're not a hundred dollar entry fee it's three hundred dollars per team. This and that's another thing, guys. This is a team event. Two guys mm-hmm. on a boat. Mm-hmm. So and they're fishing together. And it's their best five fish that they can put together together as okay. a team. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a three hundred dollar entry fee. That's a little bit higher than what a lot of tournaments are, but you're not gonna find anything that pays ten thousand dollars first place that's gonna have an entry fee any lower than that. So yeah. um that's 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 one thing you get into with the bigger prize money. But mm-hmm. one of our claims to fame is a hundred boat cutoff. Because a lot of these bigger tournaments end up having two hundred boats or even more than that in them and mm-hmm. we limit ours to one hundred boats. But so you know you're not you're not going to be competing against more than one hundred boats. Yeah, that's great because you're right. I mean, I've fished tournaments for years, um, both on the national trail and, and even even you know local trails. And 
it's very advantageous to know that you only have to beat a hundred because here's the, the, the best thing and worst thing about fishing a tournament trail in Alabama. We have amazing fishermen in this state because our natural resources are so amazing, right? Yep. We have so many amazing fisheries and so many guys have spent their life running up and down river systems and, and, and reservoirs. And they're just, we have a great, great population of very talented anglers but that's also the worst thing for a tournament for a guy because he has to, I mean, you got, you, you got to, to you win gotta or to, oh. to do well. I mean, you really got to show up. You really got to put in your time and it's only exasperated, especially in, a, in an environment like this, where this is great prize money, but this is, we're, we're not talking about professional fishing here. We're not talking about, you know, you guys got day jobs and guys, you know, they're, you know, they're busting their tails to get off on time to go get a few hours in the water. And it's only exasperated when you've got 150, 175, 200, and 225 boats yeah. in a tournament that, you know, I used to fish a lot back in the day. And, uh, and I was fortunate to get to fish probably more than the typical guy who was fishing in some of the, the bigger local tournament trails that I have fished in the past and still get my brains beat in. Um, because they just have so much, so much time on the water. And so, you know, getting to go into a tournament and say, man, I just, I just got to beat a hundred. I just got to be 99 or I just got to, you know what? I just, I just, I only got to get in front of 80 of them versus 180 of them. Right. It's, you know, th there's a return on investment there or, or a higher percentage of return. on higher, investment. So higher percentage, exciting. Yeah. yeah. So even here's another, here's another kicker to two hour payout. We pay one in five boats. We've got a hundred boats on the water. We're get, we're going to pay 20 checks. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean, that's great. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a very attractive for a guy to not only a guy, but a, a buddy for them to throw in 150 bucks yep. and go yep. fish. Are these, are these one day tournaments? One day tournaments. Yeah. yeah throw in 150, one day 150 bucks piece and not travel halfway across the country, even not even nope. travel halfway across the state to, Nope. To go and win ten thousand dollars, you know, I mean that's that's awesome. That's man. pretty awesome. That's it really, really is, is, man. Hats off for what you've done. This is exciting. You know, one of the questions I had, and you know, back when we were were growing up, I remember that you know, of course, Demopolis, you know, had had tournaments, and that's about the time me and you were coming up is when when tournament fishing started getting bigger, yep. and and of course, it's exploded since then, and it got to where you know there was tournaments about every weekend in the Mopiser for a while, it seemed like. But uh, yep. I remember, you know, the, the big one that would come to the Mopiser at the time was the Red Man. They'd have the Red Man tournament there, and that seemed to be, if I recall right, one of the larger ones that came in. And, and I was always shocked at, you know, we had our local fishermen there. We had, you know, Koshan Rock or Randy Howell or – Bill Champion, I, I'm throwing names out there, but uh, these yep. local fishermen that you know killed it day in and day out. But when these big, when these tournaments would come to, they wouldn't always. They wouldn't. People from out of town would come in and 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 wear them out a lot of times. Uh, do a you lot of times they would. do you see that in the tournaments that 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 you're doing right now? Is it? And I guess it's just the way you have it in divisions is really cool because you, you, you probably do have guys in that local area, but does it seem to be that the guys who 
from Demopolis or winning those Demopolis uh, tournaments and the guys from Jordan or winning the Jordan tournaments, or is it a is it just a very random? I don't it's know. Kind if that's right. a, it's, it's kind of a give and take uh, on that. Is sometimes it depends on how you know lakes change. All, all these lakes and these river systems they change daily and especially change weekly and and yearly. Sometimes what I see that a local angler will do is he gets stuck in a rut. He is trying to make the fish do what he wants them to do. And somebody from the outside that, I mean, they don't even know what the lake looks like until a week before they're going to fish it. And they come in and they, they they don't even know where to start. But they come there with a completely open perspective, mm-hmm. and they're able to find something that the local fishermen can't find because they're not trying to read the fish. They're trying to make the fish do what they want them to do. Does that make sense? It makes absolute perfect sense. When everything lines up right, the local angler is hard to deal with. When, every, when all the conditions line up right. But that right. doesn't always work out like that. That doesn't always work out. I, I remember when I fished some tournaments with me and, and Jason, you know, over there, used to, we fished a couple of tournaments, and we always had these these spots in our mind that we had caught fish, you know, over the years. And it's kind of – and that's – we would always go to these these places that had produced for us. But, you know, you, you get a you get a, the water changes, the temperature changes, you get a lot of rain, and the water jumps up. And guess what? Those fish that that we count on in those spots that we fish daily, all of a sudden aren't there. And somebody comes in and, like you said, with a very open mindset, and they're like, okay, here's the conditions. Here's what the fish, here's where I'm looking for fish in these conditions. And they go find fish that we didn't know existed. That's exactly right. That's what happens. And, and so, yes, a lot of times a stranger comes in and wins. Or as much as anything, the strangers, they get most of the checks. A lot of times your visitors get a lot of the checks instead of the guys that are expected to win. Yeah, it just, it, it, Every weekend is different, though. Yeah, and that's yeah. encouraging for a guy, mm-hmm. you know, like me because, look, I'm going to be transparent. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at you, your tournament results online right now, and you got some heavy hitters showing up to you. <laughs> Uh, to your your <laughs> tournaments, which is great, that's awesome. But guys, what what he's saying is, and and this is so true. That's why I always fished better away from home than I did at home. Because at home, I would try to make the fish. I would want to catch just the way I want to catch them, or I would fish history. Yep. Versus when I traveled halfway across the country, man, I just had to read the lake, I had to read the fish. I had, and I always did better. And so. Don't think that because he has some some great fishermen in this tournament trail, which is it's a good thing. It, it really is. It's going to make you a better fisherman as well. But history is showing that you have just as a great of an opportunity to come in and cast a check or even win a tournament because it's. And I've said this to especially young guys, high school guys, and college guys that have worked for me and who or, or I know who love the fish. It's they get caught up in this element of of you're not you're fishing against the fish, not against the fishermen. And this is a great example of if you're willing to go in and just focus on the conditions and finding the fish and the right fish to win and understanding what it's going to take to win, 
then you've got just as great a chance as anybody Doesn't else. Anybody. But unfortunately, a lot of people, they, they spin out mentally before they ever get there. And, and I, so I love that you've brought that up because it, it, it's a testament to, this, to the statistics show that you have just the greatest chance of rolling in there and cashing a check or winning a tournament as anybody else. And um, yep. especially where the formats put, and then and, and advancing on to even something bigger, you know, like the twenty thousand dollar championship. So it sounds like you got a, a, an awesome thing going with Extreme Bass Challenge, and, and and you're expanding. Do you have the vision to continue expanding, or or, or what's kind of the the, yeah. the the big play here? here? Here's the way it started. It started at Miller's Fair, one tournament. I wanted to see. If I threw a $10,000 first place and a $300 entry fee out there, could I get 100 boats? Mm-hmm. Well, I did. I did. So that answered that question. And I knew if I could do it at Miller's Ferry, then we could do it other places. So we, from there, we expanded last year. We had four tournaments last year. And um, not really any certain division. We just had a tournament at Miller's Ferry, a tournament at Jordan, a tournament at Lay, and a tournament at Cooter's Pond. So then from there, a four-tournament schedule being a division came to be, and I basically took the waters that I'm familiar with and that not to try not to put myself um, in an area that I don't know the fishermen, okay? I'm still trying to build this thing, so I need to have a relationship with the guys that I'm trying to hold mm-hmm. these events for. So yeah, Absolutely. All right, so my hometown is Demopolis, so that's Miller's Ferry in Demopolis. Everything there is a guy that lives in Sumter County, Clark County, Choctaw County, Marengo County, Dallas County, Hale County, Perry County, Wilcox County, and Monroe County. All right, all of these tournaments are within an hour of these guys' house. So they don't have to go and get a hotel room and stay on the road if they don't want to. They can actually stay at their house and be at these lakes within an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then the next division set up is Lay in Jordan. Well, it's the same principle there. The guys in from Birmingham down to Montgomery over to Wetumpka, Prattful, that whole area right there. I mean, these two tournaments are inside an hour of all of these guys. So same thing. They've got four opportunities to sleep in their own bed and fish for $10,000. All right. Then I go over to Ufala, which is my favorite place to fish. And there it is. It's, it's, it's all that you follow, but you're actually, I mean, you got people from Dothan all the way up to Phoenix city over into Columbus, Georgia, Albany, Georgia. I mean, it's, and guys from Montgomery. I mean, they're within an hour of that. So, and there you have it. You got four chances to fish for $10,000 and sleep in your own bed every night and qualify for a championship tournament that's going to pay 20000 So That's, that's good. And 20000 first. I mean, I mean, you. I don't know if you've looked at our payout schedule or not, but like a championship tournament, 20th place gets $1,000. Wow. So, I mean, that's... That's great. That's pretty stout. That's pretty stout. Absolutely. Where's, what's your plan? Do you have your site set on another another area? Or yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're probably going north, and we're probably going south, and we're probably going to go further east. That's yeah. really all I can say right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the answer is yes. Yes. The answer is definite yes, and you should. It sounds like it's going great. 
Well, man, yeah. tell everybody what's I, I guess what's the best way for the listeners to dive a little bit deeper, get in talk, contact with you, or check out a website. Just give a little information about a guy's net, how he can take a next step in considering you know coming and joining up on your on your trail. All right, we've got a Facebook page. It's Extreme Bass. It's one word, capital X and capital B, but one word. Okay, that's on Facebook. Uh, I've got a website. It's Extreme Bass llc.com it's up and running you can look at a lot of stuff on there it's not completely up to date from the changes that we've made in the last seven days so it's some it's some construction going on there we're also setting up uh online registration on there so the guys can register right there on the on the website but the best and what I encourage anybody to do, and a lot of people are there like, man, I can't believe you put your cell phone on this thing. Uh, and it, it, it can be aggravating because <laughs> sometimes I get calls at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night wanting to know, hey, man, what do I do about getting signed up for this tournament? <laughs> so, but that's the best thing to do is to call me. And then I can answer any questions you have. I can register you. If you if y'all want to register right now, all you got to do is give me your names, your phone numbers, and I can get you registered. You pay me with Venmo or PayPal, and we take care of it right here. That's the best thing. And my phone number is 334-654-4278. And I encourage anybody to call me, text me, whatever you need. And I'll answer the questions, and I can get you registered. Man, that's beautiful. Perfect, buddy. Well, I love what you're doing, man. That's exciting for the state of Alabama and all of our, our, our fishermen. And um, might motivate me and Stephen to get in the boat and come join some tournaments there as well. But uh, that's right. We'll set the hook on a few. I, you know, I, the the other thing that that John's not going to talk about, he but he don't want to talk about on here because he don't want people to know. But this guy's got some deer hunting. No, oh. he's got big deer. <laughs> he's always had big deer. I don't like them big deer, man. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I, I own a feed company, so I live on the deer side as well. And uh, that always gets me excited when I yeah, hear you got, got some big deer. So yeah, You see how he just chuckled, but he didn't really say anything? Yeah, I see. He don't want to talk about it. I know his kind. You've been there. You've seen this guy. Oh, yeah. So. All right, brother. Hey, man, we love what you're doing, man, and, and, and uh, want to have you back on again and, and, and give some more updates and, uh, and, and help you grow this thing, buddy. So congratulations. Hey, if y'all don't mind, I would like to name my sponsors. If if that's not a problem for y'all, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, tell, tell us about it. Well, Come on, and I've got some guys that are helping me with this, and and I and my job is to promote them, and uh, that's uh, Silicaga Marine Lee Holmes there at Silicaga Marine and ATV. He's been behind me one hundred percent with this. He's helped me with all sorts of different sponsorships being Minkota Trolling Motors, Hummingbird Electronics, Talon Shallow Water anchor, Anchors, or Tracker Off-Road, ATVs, uh, Nitro Boats, Fish Life fish, fish Care Products. I don't know if y'all are familiar with them, but that's Randall Carter over in Maplesville, Alabama. Makes an excellent product that, uh, for cleaning live wells, uh, a fish care product to add to your live well to help keep the fish during the day, as well as uh, first aid treatment for injured fish. Then FX Extreme Custom Rods. Uh, that's my rod of choice. Uh, everybody's got a, everybody's got their own pick, but 
if you hadn't checked out a FX rod, you need to. Good stuff. Good stuff, man. Well, we appreciate it. Good luck to you. And, uh, man, we're going to be watching what you do and watching this. I know it's going to grow and continue to grow. So uh, keep getting after it, brother, and let's stay in touch. Yes, sir. Thank you all uh, for letting me be here. Absolutely, John. We, we thank you, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Later. All right, buddy. That's some exciting stuff, man. That's uh, it's great to see uh, some additional things like that in our, in our state popping up. And that's some, that's some serious prize money, dude. It is, man. And it's you know, tournament fishing is at the core of my passion for years, and it just it's it's a testament to just our natural resources and how amazing they are in the state of Alabama. And and so, uh, man, all the best to that trail. And like I said, there's a lot of fishermen just itching to to get out there and get on a trail. So another one is uh, a great add to our state and, and, and look forward to seeing how that unfolds. But yeah, another good show. We appreciate Norman being on here again. It's always great to get that, that knowledge for the uh, people that have ponds or looking at building a pond and managing their lake. So we appreciate Norman. Thank you, John, for being on here with uh, talking about your tournament trail and Man, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up, and uh, it's been a good week. Please subscribe, rate, and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast, whether it's iTunes, whether you go to Great Days Outdoors to find it, and you can go to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash AFFR. And, uh, man, if you register, we'll send you the show every week, so you won't have to worry about it. We'll send you a reminder, but... Uh, that is it for the week. Steven, man, look forward to seeing you and talking with you next week, brother. And I'm going to go catch a fish. Let's do it. I'll let you later. See you. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Killer Dock. Check out the full line of all-natural dock-enhancing fish cleaning stations at KillerDock.com. And brought to you by Fish Bites, ready to go when you are, regardless of when you're ready to go fishing. This bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait. Check them out, fishbites.com. And brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.